Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ communities, this is Well, 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 brought to you every week by Thorn Harbour Health. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. Coming to you from Joy's Victorian Pride Centre studios on Boonwurrung Country, I'm your host, Jacinta Hennicom. Joined by the wonderful Cal Hawk. Cal, welcome. Thanks, Jacinta. Yeah, it's good to be back in studio and uh, yeah, tackling all those things that are important to our health and well-being. Uh, this week, we are actually tackling a couple of topics. Um, and yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad to be back in the studio. I had a little bit of a break because I had other responsibilities going on. And yeah, I'm glad that we're diving back in. So yeah, very yeah, excited. It's good to have you in here. And we also had our guests in studio this week too. I know, which it's like Brave New World, like post-COVID to actually be like, hello, real person, and not just someone that we're talking to on the phone or via Zoom and all that stuff, which is, you know, it's great too, because with Zoom, we've been able to talk to people all over the country or even internationally, but um, it's nice to have people back in the studio. It is nice. It is nice. So tell me, who are we talking to this week? Well, we will be getting all the latest information about the monkeypox virus or MPXV, as some folks are talking it. Um, We'll be joined by Dr. Kasha Singh from the Doty Institute uh, to kind of explore what exactly this is, how concerned should we be, who's at risk, all those good things, basically your 101. If you've heard about monkeypox over the weekend, um, we're here to break it down for you and just to let you know how you you can look after yourself and those around you. And then we will be finding out about uh, 28th of May, which is LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day. We will be joined by Rochelle Menzies, who is the Victorian State Coordinator for the LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Foundation. And so with Rochelle, we're going to be diving into what is it? family violence or domestic violence like in you know our queer communities um and also kind of having a little bit of conversation around having the conversation and talking about their campaign this year which i think i believe is it i seek and seen and believe seen and believed yes and so we'll be unpacking what exactly that means and um how folks can get involved um so that's all coming up on this episode of well 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 here on joy 94.9 you're getting well 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 with the team from thorn harbor health Jacinta and Cal are here with Dr. Kasha Singh, who is from the Doherty Institute's Department of Infectious Diseases. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about the monkeypox virus. No worries. Now, first of all, what exactly is monkeypox? Because I think in headlines it came up last week and a few people were like, well, it's kind of, it seems like a silly name, (laughs) but um, it's a real thing, right? It's a real thing. What is it? So it's an orthopox virus, which is... A virus that's in the same family as smallpox, which most people will have heard of, and a couple of other things which are pretty unusual. Monkeypox virus itself is pretty uncommon, and it's the cause of the illness that we call monkeypox now. Where, I mean, has this 
Is this new? Is this like a you know COVID nineteen thing all over where it's come out of nowhere? When did monkeypox first get identified? So it is not a new virus. It was first identified in nineteen in the nineteen fifties, so nineteen fifty eight. Actually, in uh, I think in the lab in Denmark where it made monkeys that were being kept, I think for experimental purposes, it made the monkeys unwell. Hence the name monkeypox. So there was sort of when it was first identified in that context. But the first human infection wasn't identified until 1970. And that was around the time smallpox eradication was going on. So it was kind of heightened looking for pox lesions and things. Pox lesions being the skin lesions that characterize pox. And there's a whole lot of poxes that you will have heard of, like smallpox, chickenpox. They're those kind of pustular skin lesions. And that's just a descriptive name for the, for the, for the sort of rash characteristic. But monkeypox, so 1970, first human case, and that was in Africa. And is that where we've seen it mostly since? Yeah, so mostly it's been in Africa. And there are two kind of main clusters, and they're different, slightly different varieties of virus, um, one in West Africa and one in Central. And so, yeah, most of the cases have been there. There have been outbreaks associated with animals outside of uh, so animal transmission, so the animals being taken out of Africa and leading to contact with humans in other places, like in the US in early 2000s, there was one associated with prairie dogs. So, And that had to do with contact with animals that had come from Africa. The first case of humans it, it coming out of Africa in by human kind of transmission was 2018. So there were three cases then. So pretty recently. Okay, with that in mind, you know, what do we think has changed recently that we're seeing more than one or two cases emerge outside of Central and West Africa? Yeah, so it's a really good question. And there's a heap of work being done at the moment to try and work that out. Um, I was on a call last night, seminar with the European uh, Europeans and the Americans and their big agencies listening to some experts giving their different opinions about why. And the bottom line is no one really knows. Um but the preliminary work suggests that there is that they're seeing lots of cases in particular in Europe now across almost 10 different countries and North America. And predominantly that's in people who identify as men who have sex with men. So that's the thing that, that has been noticed. And why that is, is the question that everyone's asking. Now, if someone gets the virus, what do symptoms typically look like? Yeah, so symptoms... Um, you will get a prodrome and that's the bit, the early bit before you come out with a rash or anything else, you'll feel off. Uh, and that can be malaise, so tiredness. You can get a fever and that's really common in this. And then you might notice swollen lymph glands and that's quite characteristic of monkeypox and quite different to other things. So you don't get that in smallpox, for example. And the next thing that happens is the rash. The rash can start flat, just a red area what we might call macula, and then it gets raised and you get these little pimple-type things which then blister up. And they can occur pretty much all over the body, including the hands, the palms of the hands and the soles, which is pretty unusual for a rash and quite characteristic of this. Mm. But I think it's really important to say when we were having this call last night, the clinicians there who had seen cases have seen a variety of things. Mm. So this is the kind of what we call the classic disease course that we learn about. But given the... You know, we're only talking about a few cases so far here. There's not much in that's been published. We're kind of getting to know it. And some people have certainly seen much more atypical presentations with different kinds of rashes, for example. 
And so, but it is the presence of a skin lesion that should be of concern and that fever that you see in most people. Now, with that in mind, as you're listing those things off, you know, fever, you know, uh, that's, there's so many things that that can be too, and we are in cold and flu season. So it is really more that rash that we're kind of looking for, I guess. Yeah. So rash does seem to be seen quite often. I think we weren't so aware recent, um, previously, or at least I wasn't, but have become more aware with the education last night and some of the reports that these days come out on Twitter from clinicians around the world about in particular genital lesions. So rashes seen in the area um, around the genitals in both men and women that we weren't so um, aware of previously as being pretty common uh, in this. But you can get a rash, it seems almost anywhere. And the face is another place where you can see uh, lesions or rashes come up. And so there's a difference between an overall rash, people think of an individual lesions. This can be either, so it can span across. No, with that in mind time, timeline wise so you get fevers malaise and whatnot how long mm. before we can expect to see lesions or maybe you know because people might feel those symptoms and think oh i was that way you know a week ago i mean should i be seeing lesions by now yeah and so um based on the information we have at the moment the incubation period so the time from being in contact with the virus and getting sick can be up to 21 days but is more commonly around 6 to 12 days so um, if you've been in contact with someone who has monkeypox infection up to 21 days is when you can develop symptoms once you the program is usually fairly short and that's 20 so one to four days uh, potentially, before you start getting lymph gland swelling and a rash. And so that then all happens. So it can be as early as day two and as long as potentially at the end, towards the end of the first week. So there seems to be a little bit of variety there, but mostly you'd be seeing it within 24 to 48 hours, a rash come up, that is. Is it possible to have the virus and be asymptomatic? Like, can you pick it up and potentially carry it and pass it on to someone else? Uh, it's a good question. Again, the bottom line is we don't know. But at the moment, I think it's more a risk that the lesions aren't picked up. So I think it's really important from, from my side, so from a practitioner's side, as well as from potentially affected individuals to have a, have a good look around because um, without doing a thorough examination with a range of potential lesions, it's important. I mean, most people, I think, will have lesions. And that seemed to be the consensus from the call last night as well. So we don't think that there's a kind of dormant form that'll lie around there and linger and be able to transmit. Most of the transmission probably occurs once you've got open lesions, but they're probably in the 24 hours before the rash developing during that prodrome period, there probably also could be a chance of transmission. Now at this point, because we have heard that it showed up uh, some cases in Europe, we've got cases in North America. At this stage, there's only been a couple here in Australia and the sense that I've got is that with the systems the way that they are at the moment from contact tracing and whatnot, we've been kind of been able to kind of uh, lock down on it quite quickly. How is it spread? Yeah, well, again, this is an area people are doing a lot of work on at the moment. So there's lots of information being gathered. From what we can tell at the moment with this cluster of cases or clusters of cases that we've seen in Europe, North America, uh, and I mentioned previously that most of the people who've been affected identify as men who have sex with men. And we think the most likely thing is intimate contact. So that's mucosal contact, skin-to-skin -skin contact, kissing potentially. So those sort of intimate contacts. Now, they can be a part of a sexual encounter, whether it's transmitted 
enduring sexual intercourse or which bit of sexual intercourse is a bit harder to track down. We do know from our past experience of this that contact is the main thing. So contact with the lesions. But as you'll remember from what we were just saying before, the lesions aren't always that evident unless you go looking really hard. So you won't you know, necessarily be covered with pustules that you see in the pictures sometimes. It might just be a few and they might be in more hidden areas. For example, if they're in the genital area, you might not, they might not be evident at first glance. So probably that's the main transmission. Um, we do know as well that the virus is very good at living on what we call fomites. So blankets, bedding, uh, sex toys potentially, all of those things could, uh, so if they've been used or slept in by someone who's got active lesions, then they've got to be disinfected before someone else could use them. And it's recommended not to share them during, you know, if, if they've been in contact with someone who has the infection. How is it treated if you do get it? Yeah, so... Fortunately, so far in this outbreak and in previous outbreaks that have, you know, and again, we're not talking about huge numbers of cases, but this West African um, clade or West African variety of the virus, the what we call the case fatality rate or the people who get severely unwell or who die, it, it's really low numbers. So in the order of a cut, one less than 1%. So mostly this is a mild illness and it has been in the people who've contracted it so far that we're aware of in, in this kind of outbreak setting in Europe and in North America. Treatment for mild disease or even moderate severity disease is usually what we call supportive and that's hydration, management of symptoms. The lesions can be a bit painful and when they become um, vesicular, when they're pustules and the scab comes off, they can become intensely itchy. So this is, you know, management of symptoms, supportive management are really important, treating the fever. The next stage really is, so preventing onward transmission, and that's predominantly household contacts, sexual contacts, healthcare workers, really. And then we move on to the more specific treatments. And there are some, so there are some antiviral agents. So we now know about antivirals from COVID, and there are some that are active against, against uh, monkeypox. They're not used very frequently, and there are some side effects potentially associated. So, um, but they're but they're there. The other thing that we have potentially is immunoglobulin again, which we've used from COVID, which is antibodies that someone um, th that are available that you can so preformed antibodies. It's like a blood product that you can then infuse into someone who's sick. And the third thing in the arsenal is potentially vaccination. So we don't really have monkeypox vaccine as such, but the smallpox vaccine has some efficacy against monkeypox. And that's around 80, 85% estimated. And again, small numbers. And the thing that's also been brought up in this outbreak is the fact that a lot of people, you know, everyone used to get smallpox vaccine. And of course that hasn't happened recently. And so the population overall is probably a lot more susceptible than the overall population used to be. Maybe that's why we hadn't seen outbreaks or coming out of Africa um, prior to now. And of course, now we have a much more connected world than we ever have before. So there's much more movement. So I don't know that you necessarily have to bring in some viral mutation or something, some you know massive change to in order to try and explain what's happened. Although, of course, that's possible and it's certainly being looked at in depth at the moment. Initial um, Initial information suggests that's not the case, but we just don't know enough about this virus um, to have that information kind of be able to be available so quickly. People are doing a lot of work around the world, though, to look at it. So watch this space, I think. 
There you go. So we're learning all about what is happening with monkeypox virus outbreaks. We'll be back in just a moment. Sexual health, mental health and the overall well-being of our LGBTIQ communities. You're listening to Well, Well, Well. This is Well, Well, Well. I'm Cal, joined by Jacinta, and we are continuing the conversation with Dr. Kasha Singh from the Doherty Institute around monkeypox virus. Um, so we've talked a little bit about how it spread, how some of the treatments have, that have come out from it. I do want to ask you, because we've touched on this before about how we're understanding it now. I, it, you know, it seems like every disease that comes up now, we're looking at through a, a, a literacy that everyone's developed because of COVID, I guess. And so following COVID-19, the general population is much more aware of public health strategies, you know, face masks, self-isolation and quarantine, contact tracing, all those. Um, are there any of those aspects that are in play as we think about how we address monkeypox? I think that the biggest one for monkeypox, monkeypox is very different to COVID. Um, you know, we all have to breathe and COVID was predominantly, you know, it's something that you can get from people coughing and, and, and all those respiratory symptoms. Monkeypox is, I mean, it's a systemic illness, but it causes skin lesions and the main issue is contact. Other precautions, particularly in the short term, like wearing of masks for cases when they're presenting to hospital, some of you will have seen that that's been recommended by the, if you need to go to a healthcare facility, it's recommended you wear a mask. And the people looking after you in hospital will have lots of precautions in place. Spread within a healthcare setting and can be really bad for a whole load of reasons. The main thing though, I think we can take from COVID-19 and bring to monkeypox and the thing that we will have got much better at is contact tracing. And I think that's where, that's something we learned from when smallpox was endemic, when a case came up um, during the smallpox, trying to get rid of smallpox, eradicate it from the world. When a single case came up, it would be quickly identified, isolated, a ring around it of contacts would be identified and they would be isolated or given vaccination or treatment to stop that ring. So to then prevent further onward spread. And I think identifying these cases up front is going to be really important and then contact tracing. And so it's really important that we can kind of engage communities who might be at risk or who might have um, be worried and try and educate people about what to look out for and what to do. That's going to be the most important thing in this. And I guess also the most important thing in, in fighting kind of fear of these new things, which is always there when they come up, which we saw in COVID, we've seen very recently. With that in mind, coming back to that, and we started to touch on it a bit earlier. So who is at risk or who should be particularly um, keeping an eye out when it comes to monkeypox virus? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the first category is contacts. So if you are a contact of someone who, you know, if you've been told you've been a contact of someone who's had monkeypox, then you need to uh, be aware of what symptoms to look out for. Um, if you're worried about it, you should speak to a healthcare professional. If you're unwell and worried you might have it, then you should present to a healthcare facility. And as has been mentioned, the current DHS, so the Department of Health Advice suggests letting them know you're coming. So um, they can put in precautions of things that they need to do to keep people safe um, and to wear a mask when, when you arrive. Um, these are all quite highly precautionary. The evidence we have at the moment is that, um, that transmission through the air would only be in people who are in close contact for a long period of time. In terms of the wider population who might be at risk, 
It's hard to tell. I think the number of cases we have here at the moment is reassuring. So people coming from overseas, it, it might be a concern and we need to be aware of the increasing numbers of cases in parts of Europe. And as I said, at the moment, predominantly, it's been seen in people identifying as men who have sex with men. The information we have at the moment suggests that transmission is occurring through intimate contact. And it, people who are having intimate contact with a larger number of people, particularly if they don't know those people, will be at higher risk. And that goes across the board. So there's nothing that we are aware of um, with regard to this virus that means that people who have men who have sex with men or any other particular group are more at risk um, or more vulnerable to infection. Um, but the patterns that we've seen are that it's probably related to intimate contact around sex within a household, that kind of thing. One of the things that a lot of people have talked about, and again, you know, it's looking through COVID lens is they worry about the idea of mutation. Have we seen that happen with something like monkeypox? Hmm. So the bottom line for that is we, we really haven't looked hard enough to know. But I think it's important to realize some of the differences between monkeypox and other viruses people might be familiar with. Viruses can be, so a virus, monkeypox is a really big virus. It's um, a DNA virus and it's complex. So it, it's it, because of the size of it, the number of genes is large. The number of what we call base pairs is really large. Looking through it to find all the differences and changes is a much harder job than a smaller virus. And examples of a smaller virus are something like COVID. And COVID is also an RNA virus. RNA viruses are more likely to mutate. So we know that coronaviruses mutate as a matter of course, pretty regularly. We know flu mutates pretty regularly and we're kind of aware of that. Monkeypox is kind of down the other end. It's a big stable DNA virus and it probably does have lots of changes in the genome, whether they cause changes in the virus behavior or anything else, we don't know as well. Certainly it will be less prone to error in its reproduction than some of the other respiratory viruses that we're more familiar with at the moment. So it's a very different beast. Having said that, we really don't know a whole lot about it. So I think some of the increase in our knowledge, keep in mind this is something that occurred mostly in low resource settings. And so um, the capacity wasn't there to do lots of investigation. And even our awareness of things about transmission is limited. There are some publications, particularly I think from an outbreak in Nigeria in 2017, where there are over 100 cases that are out there, but not detailed sequencing information. In the time since that outbreak. I mean, things like sequencing have just moved ahead in leaps and bounds. And so our capacity, even in more developed settings, is just so much greater than it was before. Well, that was going to be something else I asked you is wanted to ask was, you know, in a post COVID world, I guess is one of the benefits that we do have these other systems in place. And they've yeah. been kind of really, I guess, fortified or looked at really closely in the last couple of years. Yeah, we're getting really good at doing this stuff and also doing it more quickly, I think. Um, I think the other thing about um, monkeypox and transmission to realize is that it isn't a very good at getting from human to human. These, these viruses, that's not their sort of expert niche. And so I guess that's one of the things about this outbreak, the transmission between humans being a little bit more intense than we've seen previously, that's got us thinking more. Um, but we still believe it's probably related to intimate contact rather than a change in the way the virus is transmitted. We still think it's probably by close contact. 
Okay, so it sounds like for men who have sex with men, especially if you've been overseas, North America, Africa, Europe, you know, something to keep aware of. But generally speaking, we're not seeing something that's going to be at the same scale of the last two years because I guess so many people kind of go, oh, here's the next thing. But it sounds like it's a pretty different beast. I think that's a pretty good summary. I think it's going to be a little bit complicated in the healthcare system, um, you know, from our side for change because operating with a degree of precautions that are necessary and kind of trying to cover these different things is complicated. And as everyone um, is probably quite aware, we've also had increase in cases, numbers of cases of things like syphilis recently. And so trying to kind of navigate all that in terms of diagnosis, testing, assessment um, is, 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 can, be, can be difficult for the healthcare system um, to, to try to work out. But I think we're in a fairly good place to do those things here and awareness will only help that. And that's sort of more widespread awareness from people about what this is and what it's not. We were talking before about treatment and whatnot, but one of the things I forgot to ask you, I would guess, is I've read that it's a self-limiting disease in, for the most part. So that for people, if you are isolating and whatnot, and you're not having really severe response, will the body naturally take it on? Yeah, yeah. so absolutely. Yeah. And in the cases um, that have been seen overseas, most people have been able to be managed at home. Um in terms of transmission, so if they do go to hospital, they usually get contained because people are being cautious. In healthcare settings, we always have to be. So they're treated in containment rooms like people will have seen with COVID. Um, but the majority of people seem to have a mild illness, which can be managed at home. I think the important thing with that is it can rumble on for a while. So you'll get these skin lesions and they can last for maybe four weeks, potentially. If you're a contact, at the moment, we know that the outside of incubation period could be 21 days. And so if you're isolating as a contact, then it's only, or if you're monitoring symptoms, I should say, as a contact, because that's probably the more relevant strategy here, it'll be 21 days before you could be sure that you might not develop symptoms. Although that chance will get less as the days goes or go on. Few people would, would, would start to get sick at 21 days. That won't be very many. But yeah, so if you get the illness, you're not going to be from what we know at the moment, the risk of transmission will be there so long as those lesions are, are, are there. And so, and, and as I said, we've seen in some of the, the, the sparse case reports that have been written up so far, that a mad, that might be more a matter of weeks than a matter of days till those completely resolve. All right. And watch this space as well, because as you said, people are really... There is heaps of stuff coming out. So just overnight in the Lancet Infectious Diseases, um, the UK reported there's seven cases and they only saw seven between... 2018-2021, so they saw seven cases over there. Three were secondary cases, so acquired from uh, the primary cases who acquired it outside of the UK. So they came to the UK and then passed it on, but only in a limited group. And so that's really the difference with what we're seeing now is we're getting much more widespread transmission, so many more secondary cases than have been seen, been seen before. But this data will now come out um, more and more quickly, both online and sort of through all sorts of media outlets as well. I think the main thing is just to be kind of conscious of the quality of the data that, that we're seeing. And there will be some really good quality of quality data coming out. There's some really good people working on this and there'll be a whole lot of other stuff. So people in Europe and in particular the UK are quite a few weeks ahead of us with this and they've already put out quite a lot of stuff. So um, going to their organisations, um, their health websites, and it, it's probably a useful thing. It's certainly what I've been doing.
That's always an important message, I think, with uh, one of the things we've seen in the last two years is be mindful of who's the source, um, because a lot of folks out there are happy to share health advice that don't really have any credentials behind it. Well, I think they're the ones having the experience now. You know, they've had more than 50 cases. um, Portugal is another place where there seems to be a lot of cases in Spain, but less accessible information sometimes because of language, primary language. So it's the UK that we're seeing uh, things come out of in real time. And they've been quick to respond and put things out already. Portugal, we heard last night, doing great community engagement, trying to inform people, going to venues and making sure people are aware. Um, Because I think the other thing about this is we're used to saying from, from our HIV experience, you know, condoms, safe sex, this is not the same thing. So using a condom, for example, for sex won't necessarily protect you against this because lesions, well, certainly they can be penile lesions, but they can be around the genital area. They can be on skin unrelated and so it's yeah, it's important to realize that that that's not the kind of protection that we that that's necessarily going to be helpful here. Terrific. Well, look, uh, Dr. Kasha Singh from the Doherty Institute, thank you so much for joining us on Well, Well, Well and unpacking monkeypox in these early days. I suppose as we look at it uh, in the in the contemporary landscape. I'm sure we've got a lot to learn, and it'd be great to come back in a few weeks' time and see where we're at then and update you on all the things I got wrong this time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that we didn't know yet, perhaps. Yeah, there you go. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us on Well, Well, Well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 your show for LGBTIQ health and well-being, presented by Joy Sponsor, Thorn Harbour Health. For more on these topics and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.